Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I I just uh, don't like it when I don't see city, county, and state government in Illinois working together. I mean, that's the important thing, right? It's always working together. We need people to work together. For a better, for better bigger, safer, stronger Chicago. Absolutely. And so, Illinois, by extension. Yeah. Uh, so when I see um, BLM Brandon and uh, Tony Preckwinkle, Tony, Tony, Tony Preckwinkle and Governor Jellybelly not on the same page, it pains me. So uh, $250 million, that's the, uh, you may have heard, it's the uh, new pool of money that is being gathered together by city, county, and state Mm -hmm. in order to provide for migrants, to provide for the people most important to our political leadership, the people here who are here illegally. And now, though, we learn that BLM Brandon is backing out of the $71 million that the city is supposed to pony up as part of this $250 million of your money pooled by your government to serve the people most important to us, the people here illegally. Yeah, Marianne Ahern asked him about that, and he just danced around the subject. She's like, well, were you at the meeting or were you not? And he said, well, were you at the meeting? He's such a child. But anyway, okay. Tony Preckwinkle, uh, Craig Wall reporting over ABC7. Tony Preckwinkle, Tony, 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 Queen Sugar. She um, said it doesn't feel good, but she's not willing to break bad on her uh, protege. Are you disappointed that the mayor agreed to the city's portion of the funding and then backed out? As I said, you know, I've, I've worked with the governor and the mayor to try to meet the challenges of the new arrivals since August of 2022, and I'll continue to do that. What more can you ask for? I mean, she's holding up her end, right? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. So the county's in with your money for the people that are most important to us, the people here legally. Uh, The state is apparently in. I didn't hear any caterwauling from Spalding, so he's in. Uh, it's just it's just BLM Brandon, but but lest anyone think that he is not committed to spending your money on the people most important to us, the people here illegally, lest you think that, how dare you think that? No one in the state of Illinois in this country is questioning Mayor Brandon Johnson's commitment to this mission. Not a single person, and I love when he talks in third person. Yeah. yeah it, the one thing you don't do, and everybody in this country knows it, even the people that don't know who he is. Every person in this country knows it. You don't question that guy's leadership. He's doing all this with a black wife and three black kids at home that he's trying to raise. And they have soccer, Dan. Okay, they have games. 
He's unlike any mayor we've ever had, remember? Uh, right. It's like he's the only working father in the he's world. The, Grow a pair. Please. He's the first. He's the first mayor with children. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. Okay. Don't tell Whatever. the dailies that, or the Emanuels, or even Lori Lightfoot. Whatever you say. But uh, so anyway, um, you know, we've got a little bit of a row, or a little bit. I wouldn't say row, but a, a, a fissure, and I just want that to be uh, ameliorated. I, I I want the 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 uh, troika to be together on this spending our money for the people most important to us the people here illegally don't you 312-642-5600 turnkey Depp pro answer line our text line is fired up and ready to go 64636 type in da then a quick comment because um you know it's important they get on the same page now because there's just more coming then they're going to come one way or the other it doesn't necessarily need to be with uh Greg Abbott, Governor Greg Abbott, providing transport. Now, for example, um, some uh, rather um, groundbreaking reporting by Bill Malusian at the border again. Seems like it's every day because every day it gets more interesting and and novel. Uh, the uh, migrants the that are coming into this country illegally, where they're coming in, where they're coming from. He's uh, uh, again at. Uh, uh, Yucumba, California, the San Diego sector, where we've where you've had a huge spike in illegals yeah. crossing because Texas is locked down. Texas. Yep, they t- shut down Texas. They put up some more wire in Lukeville, Arizona. So California is the way in because it's a sanctuary state. There's uh, no border. There's no National Guard there. They're not going to stop them. The uh, California troopers aren't going to stop anybody. Yeah, they're coming in in Arizona too, but not at the same pace as California. Uh, this is this is interesting. Just to take a listen to what he's witnessing and what you can see during his report, this uh, mountain range uh, there in the San Diego sector and just watching people uh, climb up and then walk down and meet a couple of Border Patrol agents that are just uh, killing time waiting for them to get down to the hill, get to, to the, you know, the the end, the, the bottom of the hill. Coming down this valley, this crevice in this mountain right now walking down and coming down to the bottom here waiting to be apprehended by border patrol this line goes all the way from the bottom where i am all the way to the very top of this mountain towards where those rocks are we got the drone on it and our ground camera again it might be very hard to see we have to zoom in pretty far away three men made it down the hill already they came and talked to us they were all from kazakhstan okay we have a big group of chinese migrants behind us watching and filming this with their iphones behind us this is just how everything is going here in san diego sector right now but you can see this steady stream of people who have literally climbed to the top of this mountain and are walking all the way down just to get into this san diego sector uh, illegally we've seen a mixture of single adults we've seen some families bringing their little kids as well the group you're looking at right now is towards the bottom of the mountain but this is obviously incredibly dangerous and i've never seen anything like this normally we see these migrants take the path of least resistance i mean there's literally holes in the wall on ground level where we are that they could have just walked around but for whatever reason this group of i can't even tell how many it is many many dozens maybe over a hundred in total or so have climbed to the top of this huge rocky mountain and are scaling the side of this mountain now walking down to this border patrol processing area we'll keep the drone on that shot and then 
comments, can we, if, are we able to go over the shoulder real quick? Uh, I know technologically an issue here. Right behind us, we have this camp of migrants from all around the world, Africans, Chinese, uh, men from Turkey that are watching these migrants come down. Some of them are on their phones. Some of them are making phone calls. Some of them are recording. Um, it's just a bizarre scene out here. There are only two single Border Patrol agents here uh, waiting to process this group. We have not seen a whole lot of Border Patrol out here uh, all day long. But, Martha, you said it off the top. Texas has locked down, so a lot of this illegal traffic is now moving to the west, to, to blue states like California, like Arizona. Here in California, uh, there is no resistance. There's no razor wire. There's no National Guard. There's no shipping containers. Uh, it is a sanctuary state. Uh, Arizona, no resistance as well. But this is just a bizarre scene. I mean, did the, you see these huge boulders? I mean, they risked their lives coming down this mountain. Yeah, okay. Uh, oh, the, 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 the terrain is, is one thing, but the key is that this is the path of least resistance, California. Yep. And, and uh, he later posted, uh, Malusian did, uh, all the people that uh, they were watching come down the mountain, made it to the ground, and later told me they were from China, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Brazil, Colombia, Ecuador, and various countries in Africa. Yeah, Turkey and Syria, too, as well. And uh, Brandon Judd, he's the National Border Patrol Council. Uh, he, he knows why they're coming in. Of course these countries that are enemies to us, that want to see our government fall, of course they're going to be sending people when they know that all we're going to do is release them into the country. And I, I had no idea. I mean, I know we talked about you know people from China that were here. They had 450 people from China last year alone. In the last four months, there have been 20,000. So we, I mean, and Malusian pointed this out, you know, there's a hole in the border wall, a ground le- and the border fencing at ground level right here in that same vicinity. Yeah, I know. We've seen it. Fox is there filming it. Uh, 60 Minutes is filming it. Um, they're filming all this happening. Tell me again, this is not a, a matter of political will. When you can have multiple news agencies dispatching reporters to sit there and monitor this all day and it's just happening the steady stream um sometimes it's a surge depending on the particular location and what's happening and 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 they can identify this and they can even identify customs and border patrol agents there and nobody's doing anything other than you know taking names and processing them into the country tell me that it's a resource issue and not a political will issue you keep trying to sell that, Joe Biden. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The answer. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. 
If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. What's the worst thing you can do? What's the worst thing you can do in America today? Commit crime? <laughs> no, no. The worst thing from, you know, if the perspective of those in power. Not agree with them, speak out against them. Yeah, I mean, a little bit more specific. I, I, I would take um, misgendering someone pretending to be something other than their biological sex. That that's right up there. But I was thinking demonizing kids. Don't demonize our kids. Do not demonize kids, kids especially when kids are just being silly. Oh, yeah. Brandon Johnson style. Yes. Um, and when you use words like thugs, use that word, that's a dog whistle. Uh, unless I, unless you apply it to honkies, then nobody cares. But if you call uh, a couple of silly kids who shot 23 people at a Super Bowl parade in Kansas City, if you call them thugs, you're going to have to deal with Kansas City Mayor Quentin Lucas. He's going to join us later on in this program. After the shooting, he said we can't let some thugs and criminals just take over and ruin what happened. I gather that's not quite your assessment of what happened that day. I have respect for the governor. Uh, we get along well. I, I disagree strongly with uh, how he would describe that situation. I, I certainly do think this was criminal activity. It was lawlessness, oh. and I think oh, that uh, that's troubling. But thugs is a dog whistle in the most classic sense. And I have seen this dog whistle time and again. There's this kind of giant conservative theory on social media now that the reason that monk shots haven't been shown is because the purported defendants are black, and if it were a white defendant, we would have just shown them. It is absolutely preposterous. There are protections to juveniles. Our city has a gun violence problem. Governor Mike Parsons of Missouri called them thugs, and Kansas City Mayor Quentin Lucas is having none of it. It's a dog whistle. It's a dog whistle, you conservatives, oh. demonizing kids and cooking up conspiracy theories that the media reports black on white crime or black on black crime different than white on black crime. Where do you come up with this? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. And I still want to know, what were they argue, arguing about? Was it over a girl? Was it something so stupid? Wait a second. What? We have protections for juveniles. We can't talk oh. about this. You're not allowed to talk about this anymore. We can't. Just like the Nashville shooting, she wasn't a juvenile, though, but she was a well, transgender, she, uh, so we couldn't talk about her motive. Correct. Yes, another protected class. Yeah. You know, um, he's right about uh, don't post mug shots of juveniles and, uh, and, and, and don't disclose the names of juveniles. Um, but that doesn't have to be how it is. So no. if they commit I, I, adult I, crimes. I mean, I know they're not charged as adults, which they should be. But if they commit adult crimes and kill somebody, we should know what they look like. We should know their names and we should know why they did it. The, the way that Quentin Lucas, the mayor of Kansas City, is talking about one person murdered and 23 people shot because apparently these two don't say it. Don't, be uh -huh. the, these two. Uh, open fire indiscriminately into a crowd of 
tens of thousands of people. Hey, 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 let's focus on the vocabulary we use to describe the assailants. I mean, it's infuriating that they protect the criminals more than the victims. It's not even protecting the criminals more than the victims. It's this, this I mean, it's this whole sort of mind rot that that uh, these were, um, well, what would you call them, Quentin Lucas? Uh, these were... Uh, Confused young men. Again, they, they, they made a mistake. They didn't have the proper... Uh, compliment of wraparound social services. They, they're to tell me their sad story about their upbringing and so on and so forth. All this, we need all these contextual factors so that we can minimize the conduct, the barbarism, dare I call them, the act. Hey, who you focus on the act. Hey, there was criminal activity there. Thank you for the concession. Twenty-three people were shot. Yeah, that, that, yeah it was, it was, that was criminal activity. There was lawlessness. Oh. I'm not. Oh, okay. Thank you for conceding that point. I mean, Quentin Lucas is another one of these identitarian mayors. Every major city, he he would be just as comfortable in Chicago, and BLM Brandon would be just as comfortable in Kansas City. You could, uh, again, you could exchange these mayors of big cities and nothing would change in any of the cities nothing but when i heard the word thugs i don't think of black people it's a thug you could be a white thug a asian thug a hispanic th- you're a thug you, you you're no be. good member of society that's what i think of a thug yeah well you can be but you're not allowed to use that term in the direction of uh two juveniles who shot 23 people because that's a dog whistle and the most important thing the most important thing right now, don't demonize our kids. Love our kids. That's what we need to do. Because it takes a village to raise our kids. Okay, Hillary. Remember that. Yes. Uh, Ron Southside, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. They're, they're, they're absolutely they're thugs. And you and to tell you two guys, this is me saying it, not you all. Don't. don't People that do things like that, they are animals. In my, that's just my opinion. They're thugs, they're animals, and the mayor is an idiot. You all have a good day. Thanks for the call, Ron. I mean, who uh, is he protecting by saying, like, who does he think he's protecting? People in Kansas City are outraged at what happened. They're lucky more people well, didn't die. Well, very lucky. Uh, the Yeah, you would think that, again. Nine children were shot. Babies. Eight-year-olds. I mean, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around the official story that this was some disagreement and they just decided to open fire in the direction of one another in a crowd of that many people. Well, one guy, that dude is, was spinning. I'm sorry for interrupting. Yeah, so, 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 yeah, I, I got the official story. That's what I'm. Okay. That's what I'm questioning. It to 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 fully appreciate if that is in fact the truth. To fully appreciate. The complete and total indifference to human life. I, I, I think people should take stock of that. And then you get this sanitized language where we're going to argue about the nouns that we use to describe the, these uh, almost unfathomable acts of barbarism. And I, I know we've seen many other unfathomable acts of barbarism, so I guess we should start fathoming it now. But, but still— I, I, 
It's the same thing with the wildings that go on in Chicago, and it's silly kids having fun. You have to not – I mean, it's this is, again, do not believe what is observably true. You're not supposed to believe that, uh, that Joe Biden is uh, mentally unfit to be president. Despite what you see, that, no, no, no. And, and you're not supposed to believe that um, uh, that s- individuals need to be in cages for the rest of their life, depending on their intersectional score, because these there's excuses for it, and there's um, there's mitigating circumstances you have to consider. And please, please, let's not use intemperate language because that just further marginalizes already marginalized co- communities and blah blah blah. They need to get your eye off the ball and essentially shame you down using identity politics, even in a situation where 23 people were shot and a woman was murdered. I'm the bad guy, or Governor Mike Parson of Missouri is the bad guy, because he called the two individuals responsible thugs. I mean, do do you understand the depths of the depravity? (laughs) Ah, boy. Matt in uh, Mount Greenwood. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. I think that uh, Ron was spot on uh, your last caller here. You know, you talked about them being uh, you know, silly kids, and you know, maybe mutual combatants would be more applicable for this. Well, except I nobody would. Well, I also those think two, that yeah. mayor is out of his mind. I really, truly do. I think he's mentally ill to think like this. It's all their explanations for stupidity. Thanks for the call, Matt. Uh, Eduardo, Tampa Bay. Yeah, good morning. Yeah, the media doesn't want to report this because they're not uh, MAGA shooters. The Minnesota one was black. The yeah, this Detroit man, 25 years, shot a mom of two in a college. So, yeah, they, they don't want to report it. But it will get top billing if it's a MAGA uh, person. Thanks for the call. Or if they can put that label on them, right. Yeah, at the, the University of Colorado Boulder, two young people shot, including, as uh, Edward said, a mother of two. Right. Assailant in custody. We don't know the motive. He's from, from Detroit. Yeah, he's from yeah. Detroit. The um, the uh, shooting of the um, police and firefighters, oh, so the murder of the officers and a firefighter. Twenty minutes south of Minneapolis. Hmm. Because I went to the culture there. I mean, Governor Walls would say the same thing that uh, that J- that uh, Justin Trudeau impersonator, the mayor of Minneapolis, Jacob Fry. He would say the same thing as uh, your Quentin Lucas. They're no different. Yeah, but sticking up for the and that, suspects and by the, way, and not the victims is so infuriating to me. I'm sorry. By the way, the, the, in the the Minneapolis, those first responders who were murdered. Um, so that was a a guy who uh, lost his right to possess a gun because of a felony assault conviction. Petitioned the court for reinstatement, denied. Still managed to find to get a gun. Hmm. Amazing. Wow, well, wasn't what a, following the laws on the book already. That's just shocking. And the two. Officers were both young, 27-year-old men. What a novel oh. occurrence. That a criminal, despite the law, was able to get his hands on a gun. But, again, the response from Quentin Lucas and Jacob Fry and Tim Walls and all of these blue state governors and all of these big city mayors is what? Restrict the rights of the law-abiding to be able to protect themselves. Because they got your back. Yeah, right. They don't care about you. They're using you. People, wake up. Tony, Southside. 
Good morning, Amy Lamb and Dan. Listen, I wish that standard of not publishing photos of the youth applied to that hack over at Slate, then we've never seen that little kid dress up like an Indian at the Redskins game. That's what I got to say. Always a double standard. <laughs> at the Chiefs game. Yeah, thanks for the call, Tony. Yeah. Yeah, he wouldn't have been targeted for a limit. That's what we need to focus on. We need to focus on 10-year-old uh, yeah. uh, Holden Armenta and his uh, offense to the Native American community. So says some dipstick uh, writer at Deadline. Uh, or, uh, but... but um, or date? Oh, no, what's a dead spin? Dead spin. Uh, and but they it's, suing uh, him. The family suing. Yeah, exactly. Good. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Take him to the bank. Jay and Lennox. Hey, Dan and Amy, thanks for taking my call. I uh, just wanted to, to, from the foundation here, we keep talking about a, a gun problem. We don't have a gun or a thug problem. We have a gang problem. And if we would put our resources together to try and dismantle these gangs. You don't have to look very far. It only takes social media to figure out that these kids, whether they're juveniles or not, they're involved in gangs. And the gang activity is what brings the gun violence. Well, thanks for the call, Jay. I mean, certainly that's true, um, but I think that there's a bigger problem than, than even the street gang problem, which is a big one. And the problem is the glorification of the thug lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know, what you, uh, how many times I've said this, what you extol, you beget. What you glorify will be imitated. And the thug lifestyle is glorified culturally in a number of places. Well, why, why don't, if they were gangbangers, I mean, why wouldn't we know about that? Well, I guess we don't know anything about this shooting. Other than it was a personal matter. Juveniles. Juveniles, yeah. Uh, End of the conversation. You have the uh, report from Official Dome. You will accept it. You will ask no questions. We will move on. Ooh, we got a great text message. Dan and Amy, photos of 17-year-old Rittenhouse were immediately published. Uh, I don't think that's a – he's not a minor in Wisconsin. Although, you know, by the way, I mean, we're taking it, you know, we're taking their word. We're taking uh, Kansas City law enforcement's word that they're minors. I'm I'm not saying that that they aren't, but uh, when you're dealing with the Quentin Lucases of the world, uh, I need evidence to support almost anything you say. Larry in Elmhurst. Hey, good morning. Hey, uh, some friends of mine are uh, Chicago Finest, and sometimes when they're going back and forth over the radio and looking for somebody, and their code is usual suspects. But, you know, the Pat's newspaper does this all the time. If he's white, they'll show, they'll describe that he's white, blah, blah, blah. But if it's not, all they'll do is describe the clothing that they're wearing. Yeah, usual suspects, you mean like uh, Kevin Spacey and Gabriel Byrne? Uh, is that... Thanks for the no, call. No, we were Larry. told when I worked at oh God, what station? I can't remember. Maybe it was Detroit or MAQ. I, they told us don't say black. They already know that they are. It's like, excuse me. Who, the, who's who's they the, know that oh, they are? News. The news director said you don't have to say black male. We just we know. No, it was Who, who's we? That was Detroit. Who's we know? Who's the we? The people. The oh. audience members. Oh right, you assume. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to say that. It's like okay. Uh, and, but so, so, um, uh, identifying their race is racist, 
Right. Uh, assuming. It was back in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, but follow the logic. Uh, identifying their race as racist, just uh, allowing the default assumption to be that uh, a suspect or an assailant is black, that's not racist. To presume it is not racist, to actually identify it is racist. I'm following the logic. The things that should not that shall not be spoken. The truths that shall not be observed. Uh, George in Naperville. Yeah, Dan, why don't we call young offenders little rascals? That was an endearing uh, term. I, I We've uh, talked about this before with, with BLM Brandon. You know, they're, they're, they're rapscallions. They're uh, devilish imps. Not thugs, though. Just sliding down the stairs to hit home plate. Don't say the T word. Except Tim in Woodstock, that T word. Morning, Dan and Amy. Um, just, uh, I was thinking about what you said in the beginning, Dan, about what things you can't talk about. And you, you, one thing you can't do is have an honest conversation about the toxicness within black culture today. Um, you can only have things like end hatred in the end zone of a, of a Super Bowl game. <laughs> and then the irony that, you know. Two young blacks go out and shoot up a crowd of people. I mean, hey, they weren't reading. The, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they weren't yeah. reading the end zone. They weren't. Hey, did you, did, did you <laughs> see Roger Goodell put that big message there? Directed that message be put in the end zone for the Super Bowl. Weren't, weren't you kids paying attention? You devilish imps. <laughs> and everyone's, call, Tim. And I feel like everyone's moved on now. They're concentrating. Oh, but Taylor Swift donated a hundred thousand dollars to the GoFundMe of the victims' family members. Which is very nice of her, but I feel like people, no, no one's, don't stay on this story. The mayor of, I mean, just talking about the uh, toxicity of the culture in certain places. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, the the mayor of Dalton, we brought you um, oh, a story yeah. several weeks back, and uh, she started blowing up and it's becoming a national story because she's a national disgrace. And it's novel and it's fun. I mean, she walks around, there's pictures of her. She walks around City Hall yeah. dressed up like the Wesley Snipes character from New Jack City. <laughs> And you're telling I'm not kidding. No, I know this, I saw the picture. She drops us up gangster. And and you're and you're telling me that we're not glorifying the thug lifestyle. Yes, there is. That is happening. And it's it's and and obviously it is not the entirety of the conversation because as I always say, a, a lot of people are seeing that and they're not following that path. But uh some people are and it's influential. And then, you know, fold in the, the gang recruitment efforts at the at the neighborhood level and so on and so forth. But but I mean, that that's the example the adults want to give to these kids that we're not supposed to call thugs while you're glorifying being thugs. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. 
your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Signature Bank. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Time now for another reason why Dan Puff is single. Uh, I thought that the Marty Paris case that we discussed would be the definitive why Dan Proft is single segment that we've ever done. I, I didn't think that it could be beat. By the way, Marty Paris, every divorce attorney in Cook County, DuPage County knows that case. Yeah, because every one of them has been on that case at some point or another. Not my divorce attorney. She met him one time. She's like, don't even ask me. <laughs> She's like, don't. It was well, at your he, roast. At your roast, I remember. He's, he, yeah, he's, he can't. He, he doesn't have any money anymore to ask oh. to ask her. Is he still on electronic monitoring, by the way? Uh, as know? far as I know. That is so sick. That is so sad and stupid. He's not uh, a threat to society, please. The most important thing is that we uh, allow violent criminals to roam free. Exactly. But then put somebody like him, you know, on electronic monitoring. So um, I guess Marty Paris isn't a one-off. That's just the Cook County justice system writ large. Criminal, civil, family law. Mm-hmm. Meet Steve Fanady. Oh, boy. Who's been sitting in a Cook County jail in solitary confinement oh. for 18 months. For what? Over an unresolved 14-year-old divorce settlement. Solitary confinement? In Cook County Jail in (laughs) solitary for a year and a half over an unresolved 14-year-old divorce settlement. So, um, you know. What the heck happened, Dan? I got to ask. As we, uh, you know, safety act all the criminals back on the streets, Steve Fanity, you'll be happy to know is safely in the hands of the state. So you don't have to worry about any more mayhem from Steve Fanity, 59-year-old Steve Fanny. Okay. So um, the Daily Signal spoke with this guy via Zoom. Mm-hmm. He's being held on a, in jail on a judge's order until he can pay $10 million or transfer 120,000 shares of stock to his ex-wife. How much did you say? Ten million or one hundred twenty thousand in shares of some sort. What did he do for a living? Uh, he agreed to give his wife everything she demanded, and a judge allowed him to keep stocks he had in Swiss bank accounts. Vanity said, but he said he spent the next ten years pursuing his business partners because she sus- uh, because she suspected them of hiding some of his assets. In June of 22, the judge issued that order that I just described. Mm-hmm. Fanity telling the uh, New York Post, also reporting on this, I've never had anywhere close to $10 million. The money I did have was spent on a decade of expensive divorce litigation and child support. The judge wants him to prove he doesn't have any stock, the stock any longer, but he can't, said Fanity, because the record retention deadline on the Swiss accounts passed and the documents aren't available. Um, Are you buying that? I, I, that's feasible. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, they're they do they sort of you know bounce this up against the Pritzker purge law again in terms of the discrepancy of how we handle uh, legal matters in Illinois. I get that. Uh, Fanny says, surprisingly, Cook County Jail not the friendliest of confines. 
Cell is infested with rats and cockroaches. He hasn't been able to shower, get medical treatment for his physical and mental health. Uh, Sometimes he isn't even allowed out of a cell at all, even with other inmates during daylight. Uh, Jail officials consider Fanity to be a high risk of suicide, especially after his parents both died while he was in jail. Please tell me. Normally they let inmates go to attend their parents' funeral. I don't have those details. Okay. Uh, But, right, um, you know, like Paris is on electronic monitoring over this Mm -hmm. argument about paying the legal fees for his ex-wife. No electronic monitoring for Fanity. He's not a threat to society. He should be out already. He should be on, at the very least, electronic monitoring. I mean, you know, I mean, again, let's take this in the light most favorable to the ex-wife, which uh, just shows my superior legal training that I'm able to do that. (laughs) Okay. Um, And say, okay, say, you know, he's got stock and a Swiss bank account. Sounds like he may have been trying to squirrel away money or squirrel away assets and, and deceive the court in terms of the actual expanse of his assets for the purposes of a fair distribution. But, I mean, honestly, um, the idea that you would um, – I mean, I, I, you know, I've never been there, so I don't know the intensity of the hatred. Um, I have heard stories yeah. about uh, intense hatred. But, I mean, you're going to let um, the father or mother of your kids rot in Cook County Jail for a year and a half when while his parents pass away and – and uh, and all of this. Well, it's time with your over, children too, like o- over life, money, life moments that you can't get back. Like, say if they graduated, or even if they have games, and it doesn't have to be a championship. Just those moments with your kids are irreplaceable. What? Well, well, and he's sitting in right. jail. I mean, what was she going to show? You know, I'm going to show him. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is you know the War of the Roses type of uh, situation here, and you sort of lose sight of, um you know, anything that resembles sanity. I don't know. But uh, but but regardless of the hatred and regardless of the uh, situation with hiding assets or not hiding assets, uh, you know, again, I, we talked about this from Thardy Paris. The, there's a there's a fine line here between, you know, an unconstitutional detention you know, treating uh, Cook County Jail as essentially a debtor's prison, which is what these Cook County judges have done in this case and as well as the Marty Paris case. We, we, we don't have debtor's prisons, and there's a lot of people who should be thankful we don't. Uh, you want to have a conversation about uh, reopening debtor's prisons for making some provision for that? Fine. I mean, I guess you would say, well, this is one of these provisions. It's a, it's, you know, it's a debtor's prison by way of contempt, but I mean— um, it is difficult to fathom how this makes any sense. And if he did have resources that he was hiding, you know, I mean, he's that obstinate. He's that um, dug in on whatever he's scrolled away. Again, playing this scenario out right. best in, in the light, most favorable way that that uh, dug in on what he scrolled away, that he's willing to uh, rot in Cook County Jail you know, for a few days, maybe I could see that for a year and a half under the conditions he describes. It's not worth uh, saying I got this much and uh, you can have it or whatever. 
Just give it up if you have I, it. I, I don't know. It, it sounds implausible. But, but even regardless of the War of the Roses between the two of them, I mean, is this the way to adjudicate uh, you know, family law matters? The, the horror stories that come out of uh, family law courts – Oh, with, it's with, re- with respect to this sort of thing, the distribution of assets, uh, with respect to uh, uh, custodial arrangements with kids. I have a friend who's in a terrible situation where for, for no good reason he's not able to see his kids. I mean, it's just, the, the judges uh, in these family law courts, we talk so much about Tim Evans and this and these, uh, uh, you know, permissive to be generous judges on the criminal side i mean this these judges are presiding over the destruction of families too and in many cases they're uh they're they're party to that destruction and if the judge doesn't like you because they know your politics watch out i mean they will get you trust me it's so scary that this one person who knows nothing about your history who knows nothing about your parenting skills can pass judgment on you like that. Well, well, I mean, I'm speaking of my own personal experience. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> but, 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 but it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, but I mean, I, and take, take calls if everybody wants to, you know, have a cathartic release talking about uh, their divorce or their experience. 312 642 5600, turnkey.pro answer line 64636 DA, It's more than that, too. It's the whole industry surrounding it, it's the guardian ad litems. And the child psychologists and so DCFS. on and so forth. Ugh. Well, DCFS. I mean, that's Please. that is the most corrupt, uh, disgusting, or government organization I think in the world. But you're talking about the politics of it. The, uh, the, the you know the uh, psychiatric and psychological profession. Mm-hmm. I mean, is way left, and and the, the, they the, the idea that they. Um, I mean, you know, I, I'm I'm not making a categorical statement, but I'm saying there's a problem with the way this operates. That that they are always there, the the best interest of the kids, and they're and and they're going to you know uh, call balls and strikes with you know based on their professional expertise. You know, that's that's fine in theory, but as we've seen and probably people know as I do, in many many cases, there is no. There's oftentimes no basis in truth to that theory. It just does. That's not how it actually works with the psychiatric profession and these appointed guardian ad litems representing the kids and the dispute over custody between the parents and so on and so forth. I mean, they're part of this complex, too. So it's just it's it's I mean, it's it's not talked about as much because of course divorce is painful enough and there's shame associated with it and all of these things. But man, between the, the Paris case and this one and, and other stuff that I've heard just within my friend circle, I mean, it's, it's enough for you it's to a be bad single. Scene. No, well, it is going through yeah, a divorce is yeah. hell. There yeah. is nothing worse. I mean, I know people's like cancer might be worse, whatever going through divorce, I think is the worst thing ever. How and long you have did... parenting agreements and then it takes forever and, how long did yours take? Oh, years. Uh, two and a half years. Yeah. You have to do the parenting agreement first, and then, you know, some parents get kids to allege things that didn't happen, well, just so that that's, that's right. a whole other mm-hmm. blank mm-hmm. show. Because mm-hmm. um, I have a girlfriend who did not have custody or was not even able to see her son for three years because the boy's father said, 
go to go walk over to the Glenview police station and say that your mom beat you. And it was all a lie. She never touched him. And the kid knew it, but he was, like, you know, brainwashed by his dad. So she didn't see him for years, and she had to pay him child support. How much time did you spend in Cook County Jail? Oh, uh, I didn't. <laughs> no, failure I didn't. to Just, pay. I was compliant. I showed up to my court hearings. I was very, you know, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. So, no, I didn't. I did not spend any time in jail. Two and a half years? Yeah, right. I was took? in the clank. No, 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 but two and a half years <laughs> two, it took. Yeah, it was awful. It's not fun. Well, and, and I think, I think um, from what I understand from friends who've got, you know, divorced in other states and so forth, that um, as, as you would expect, but it's good to know that Cook County in Illinois is just a different kettle of fish than mm-hmm. it is in a lot of other states where it is not um, so wired to enrich the uh, – to, to enrich the, the, the uh, gatekeepers in the system, you know. The family law attorneys and all these the personnel associated with it that we were describing. Um, but my unsolicited advice to everybody going through a divorce: you don't want to go. You don't want to have a court hearing. You want to settle before it goes to trial. Well, of course, everybody knows that. I mean, but, you but, do but, not want. But, but no, but everybody knows that, but very few are able to it. accomplish it. <laughs> right. Go to mediation. Save yourselves and your ex tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, well. That's my legal advice. Uh, it's, uh, it's, Jacobson it's, and Jacobson never lost a case but never tried one. It's a, it's a dispassionate <laughs> uh, a piece of advice that's probably good, but but then the reality is the fantasy situation where uh, my husband can get devoured by cockroaches and rats in Cook County Ugh. Jail for all I care unless I get my $10 million, whether it exists or not. Got a text message. Dan and Amy, you should get her on the show if you know her name. Uh, yeah, well, we can try. Reach out. We can try. Fan- fanity. Love Steve. to hear her side of the story. I'm sure it's a, it's a public document, I presume, so it's easy enough to track down. Uh, text from 630, one of nature's dumbest creatures, a remarried divorced man. <laughs> Some people never learn. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. You know, one, one other thing I just want to emphasize about, uh, about the Fanity case in Paris, especially Paris. Um, yes, I want to say something, too, about that. The, the, the justice delayed is justice denied. The length of time it takes for these cases to get adjudicated, there is no, no reason, no legitimacy to a court that takes seven years to get to a conclusion of a divorce proceeding. And that's on the judge uh, as much as it is the the lawyers and the litigants. The, the, all of these cases, I mean, in, in these courts and the various cases, you know, areas of the law that uh, the cases they adjudicate, it, it just takes way too long yep. because of the, the sort of the trial lawyers running and family law attorneys in this case, you know, running the system. Yeah. The longer it takes for them, the more money they make for the attorneys, that's for sure. And for Marty Paris, I want to tell you, I have seen him for years with his children at the pool and he is a great father. With the and those pool. kids love him. Well What's okay. The pool? Oak Park Country Club, okay. Okay. And I'm telling you, he's a great dad, so I just am sick to my stomach still that he's on electronic monitoring that's stupid. 
Right. But I mean, again, right, the, the courts and right, the uh, guardian ad litems and stuff, they've interceded to, to act in the best interest of the kids. Yeah, my ass. Yeah, that's not in the best interest of the kids. They want their right. dad back. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, uh, just a parenthetical remark before we, uh, or I should say a postscript before we get on to our next topic. I got an update on Marty Paris, Amy. Oh, okay. Still on electronic monitoring, allowed to leave his house three days a week between eight and four to go to work. And the judge would not let him go watch his kid in the state wrestling tournament. Oh, his son, his son made it to state? Oh, Apparently. my God. And One of went, them did. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, and, and so that is That's supposed a life to, experience you'll never get back. That is supposed to accomplish what in the context of a divorce proceeding where I, I, the issue is unpaid legal bills for uh, your, you know, ex-wife or shame yeah, on well, her. she has ex-wife now shame on her i don't even want to get into her i can't i'm not doing it, it it's just it's just i mean that the, the cook county the family law system like every other aspect of the justice system is just completely foobard just completely okay all right I like that i haven't heard that in a while yeah well foobard, i'm it huh? back i'm gonna right. repopularize it Put it make it into a hashtag and a t-shirt uh, all right, I love this story uh, coming to us, thanks to the Wall Street Journal from St. George, Maine. About a decade ago, the residents of St. George wanted to uh, introduce or reintroduce shop class and career training to their local schools. And, of course, the local schools that are there to serve the families said no. So they voted to break free and create their own district. And this was a decade ago. So this is a uh, coastal town, um, lobstering is a big industry, has been around for generations. And um, if the lobster industry collapses, because, of course, that's been targeted by the eco-supremacists, then St. George parents want their children to have other career options. They want to keep their town alive. Yeah, keep kids in trades or encourage them to. Well, that's, and that's exactly where it went. They incorporated career and technical training in the independent school they set up. During a two-day visit, the, this... Um, a writer for the Wall Street Journal, uh, Sierra McLean, uh, writes during a two-day visit, I watched fourth graders design complex three-dimensional objects on Tinkercad, a basic engineering software program. Middle schoolers made insulation for a miniature satellite. Kindergartners and first graders sporting safety goggles and tool belts enthusiastically uh, hammered at wooden boxes they designed. Eighth grader B.J. Hallowell is among those who benefited from the program. His poor performance in school made a U-turn as soon as he was introduced to the trades. His yard is now cluttered with tractors and snowmobiles he's taking apart. He dreams of becoming an engineer. Mom says since he's started doing hands-on learning, he's a totally different kid. Uh, uh, Bryson Maddox, 17, said after St. George created his trade program, he went from being bored and coasting in school to feeling energized. And uh, that sentiment reflects national trends, according to the Association for Career and Technical Education. Vocational training is associated with higher levels of student engagement and reduced high school dropout rates. Now, Bryson has his own laser cutting business. Wow. He's, still in high school. He's a senior. He makes signs, mugs, puzzles, cheese boards. He already has an offer to work at uh, a custom boat builder in a nearby community after graduation. 
point here is that yeah, the trades and vocational education is not for everybody, but it shouldn't be for no one. It shouldn't be prohibited so that it can be for no one. But you know that sort of uh, consideration is absent in the centrally planned school systems, which is why the importance of school choice and K through 12 innovation. Uh, again, the mystifying position of the teachers' unions and the mindless drones who prop them up. Why the exemption from competition? Everywhere else, including in the lives of these families and parents, you have to compete. But for some reason, K-12 through education should be exempt. Why? It's not a performance-based exemption. We know that. We know that all too well in Chicago. For more on this topic, we're pleased to be joined. I haven't talked to him in a while. Good to catch up with Frederick Hess. He's the Director of Education Policy Studies at the American Enterprise Institute. He's got a new book, Getting Education Right, A Conservative Vision for Improving Early Childhood, K-12, through and College. Rick Hess, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Good to be with you. So um, the... Um, the conservative vision for improving early childhood in K through 12. Well, why don't we start there? College is a different kettle of fish. But um, I, I know we've seen uh, innovations not just in St. George, Maine, but um, uh, over the last two decades, I mean, there really has been a, 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 a boomlet of uh, school choice and innovative programs and independent schools. So in many states, um, I would say that when I think of conservative vision for K through 12, that vision is coming into focus, isn't it? Uh, I mean, I think choice, you know, empowering families to find a school that's right for their kid and educators to work in a school where the classrooms aren't chaotic, where they can do their best work. This is absolutely part of a healthy conservative vision. But, you know, it's only a start. I mean, if you think about this, um, what, you know, the question becomes, what are conservatives for? And we're for empowering families, but we're also for excellence, at least as Mike and I see it. We're for rigor. Uh, we're for rewarding achievement. And if you look around the country, even at lots of, you know, high-flying charter schools, uh, they have backed away from the notions of excellence and rigor. The KIPP charter schools a couple of years ago abandoned their slogan of work hard, be nice. Yeah. They said it was a legacy of white supremacy culture. Right. So for us, the point is that absolutely empowering families is a critical a critical building block. But it's only a piece uh, of a larger vision of what we need to be for. And conservatives have spent so much time pushing back against craziness that we have often forgotten to kind of really articulate or offer a vision of how do we make this stuff work for every family? Well, what states are doing it right? You know, it's a great question. Partly it depends what's right. Um, you know, Arizona is helping lead the way. They led the way on charter schooling. They're leading the way on education savings accounts. Uh, education savings accounts are terrific because whereas school choice has often just been a lifeboat for families trapped in terrible schools, um, for most of the last 30 years, it hasn't really offered much to working or middle-class families that are saying, well, my schools aren't awful. They're just not for my kid. Um, that really changed during the pandemic when suddenly these families said, this isn't working for me at all. Um, and what's come out of the pandemic is much more ambitious, 
much more universal visions of choice. Uh, we're seeing efforts like that in Florida, uh, in Indiana. Uh, but the, the set, the, you know, another piece of this is not just giving families options. It's how do we make sure uh, that, uh, y- you know, um, fraudsters aren't stealing the public purse, uh, working under the cover of choice plans. So just like we would want when it comes to unemployment or when it comes to health care, how do we just make sure there's basic fiduciary uh, responsibilities in place? How do we make sure that the public folks, public officials writing checks um, are paying attention to who they're writing the checks to? And that stuff is still a work in progress in every state that's working to expand and cultivate uh, choice-based options. You know, I, I really like the idea of getting back, like establishing first principles. This is the, this is what informs the choice, the choices we make, the uh, sort of schools we want to design. Something else, though, too, and you started to touch upon it with charter schools, and you mentioned uh, work hard, be nice, or work hard, play nice, or something like that. The KIPP, I, I remember that story. The KIPP charter schools in New York that uh, went away from that because it's a legacy of white supremacy. One of the things that, you know, charter schools and private schools and this and that, well, right, not char- all charter schools are created equally. Uh, and same thing with private schools. Charter schools are particularly problematic because they're still government-funded. And they're still susceptible to teacher unionization. And they're also susceptible to uh, left-wing dilettantes who recognize that the centrally planned Politburo systems in places like Chicago are awful. So we need to do something charters. But I still want to you know, maintain my government-centric philosophy on life and education. So I don't want to go away from government, but I, I, we can't just do the neighborhood schools because they're catastrophes. Well, that's not a long-term that may be a way station for some kids, but they're ultimately going to be uh, torn asunder by their own internal philosophical contradictions. And, and then these, t- these you know, Tony private schools that are captured by the same, uh, you know, d- d- dilettantism of wealthy honkies that fund these things, too. Uh, you, you really have to drill down. And I think we need a little bit more honest conversation about dude, stop saying just charter schools and school choice and private schools. Let's get real specific about what sort of schooling options we want to present. What, what's what's the vision for uh, a particular school uh, like in St. George, Maine or a category of schools? Yeah, no, I think that's well said. I think one of the things Mike and I talk about in the book is there's two ways to talk about pursuing that kind of vision uh, you, you, you just noted. One is that we need to be – one of the problems for conservatives over the last quarter century, I think, has been that in the spirit of bipartisanship during the No Child Left Behind years and the rest, conservatives grew uh, very hesitant to talk about core values. So we stopped talking about the importance of two-parent households. We stopped talking about the importance of taking away your kid's phone and making sure they did their homework um, because progressives thought this was blaming the victim and we didn't want to be bad allies. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of it is we've got to get comfortable talking about responsibility and respect and hard work again. And the nice thing is Americans are overwhelmingly with the right on this. If you ask parents, should kids work hard? Should they learn that the United States uh, is a bastion of liberty? Uh, should you believe uh, that hard work is good or bad for kids? Overwhelming majorities of parents, 75, 85 percent, take what we usually think of as a conservative position. 
Um, so what's happened is because we haven't been talking about that in coherent, focused ways, um, what you've seen is a lot of this picked up by social media influencers who've said it in ways that sound nutty and over the top rather than in ways that make sense to lots of working class kind of serious uh, parents and families. The second piece uh, of this is exactly what you noted about this career and technical education program is that we shouldn't be, you know, we should want to empower families, but we should also want to make sure that we are fighting for options that give families a choice of whether or not they want to have to pay send their kid to college. We should be fighting for options that embrace uh, advanced instruction. Uh, California right now is trying to eliminate advanced math instruction in grades 1 to 10. Um, when you see charter schools or private school options that are simply importing the pathologies from the public system, that's not all that much of an improvement. So we should be both for empowering families, but then we should be for the creation and promotion of options which embrace things like excellence and rigor and make college, making college optional rather than mandatory for folks who want to get a good job. Is it even worth trying to um, reform, take back the you know suburban government high school that you went to and it was so good 20, 30, 50 years ago, and now it's an incubator of you know totalitarian groupthink? Is there is it even worthwhile, or just you you gotta you gotta go somewhere else and do something else and in a new with a, you know under a new paradigm? Um, you know, I, I think it's it's sometimes it's the same question that we've had about college, right? <laughs> yeah. Can we save any of? Um, and look, there is so much invested in these institutions and in these high schools. Uh, they've got alumni networks. They've got a lot of teachers. They spend a fortune. Um, I think we absolutely should be fighting tooth and nail to create new, better, more nimble, more, more value-driven options. But we shouldn't give it up. One of the realities is I think just like on campus, that old suburban high school, if you actually get the teachers alone in the lounge with nobody overhearing them, I think 60, 70, 80 percent of the teachers say, yeah, I don't like schools being unsafe. I don't like that I'm not allowed to give a grade lower than B. I don't like the fact that I'm supposed to be talking about ideology uh, rather than actually teaching kids math and science. So I think what's happened is these schools, like with so much of higher ed, have been captured by the 10 or 20 percent of lunatic true believers who are pushing an agenda. And they've intimidated other folks. They've beat up other folks. They've captured leverage points like the office of DEI. And part of the answer here. Um, is that so many of these teachers and families actually want something different, and can we offer them uh, the kind of leadership and support that will cause them to push back on, on, on the toxic folks? Rick Hass is the Director of Education Policy Studies at the American Enterprise Institute, that is. His new book, pick it up, Getting Education Right, A Conservative Vision for Improving Early Childhood, K-12, through and College. Rick, thanks for joining us as always. Good luck with the book. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. That uh, sound means it's time for in-depth history with uh, history teacher Frank from Arlington Heights because there's nothing new in this world. It's just the history 
We don't know. Take it away, Frank. Good morning. Yesterday we celebrated President's Day. Now, technically in Illinois and federally, it is still called Washington's birthday, which is actually on the 22nd. But today, though, I'd like to honor a president who has been much maligned by some historians over the years, and some of it unfairly. Herbert Hoover was born in West Branch, Iowa, on August 10, 1874, to Quaker parents, both of whom died before Hoover reached age 10. Separated from his siblings, he went to live with an uncle in Oregon, and later graduated in one of the first classes of Stanford. Hired by a mining company, he managed major projects in Australia and China, getting caught up in the Boxer Rebellion of 1900. He made a lot of money and did well for himself. Then when World War I broke out and Germany executed the Schleppen Plan invading Belgium, he organized food relief for the starving children there. These actions, along with other post-war efforts he took in Eastern Europe and Russia, saved millions of lives, and today he is revered as a hero in many parts of Europe. Then rewarded with the Secretary of Commerce position under both Presidents Harding and Coolidge, Hoover was the golden boy of the GOP in 1928 and won 40 states against Governor Al Smith of New York. Then in October 1929, the stock market crashed and the Depression started. And he certainly didn't handle it well, prescribing more government solutions for the problems created by government in the first place. But Hoover also felt direct relief would lead to dependency. And was he wrong? But as such, millions felt he had abandoned them, so he lost badly to FDR in 1932. He was not the best communicator, but he was still a magnificent human being who went through a lot and didn't let the tough hand dealt him get in the way of success. He died age 90 in 1964. Interesting. Uh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've heard the defense of Hoover before. There's some merit to it for sure. Uh, Smoot-Hawley didn't help either, right? Oh, Holly Smoot, Tara, anyone? Yeah. Anyone? Yeah. Anyone? Bueller, yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. anyone? Voodoo <laughs> economics? Yeah, he very. Us, he taught us the Laffer curve, too. But, yeah, Hoover was uh, much maligned, and FDR actually ran on balancing the budget, if you can believe it, in 1932. And, of course, he That's spent... It. God so, more than Hoover did. Right. And so is every president since. Kitchen yeah. table issues. I love uh, that. Okay. Frank, thank you as thank always. You. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560. The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, Roland Fryer is a name we've mentioned before on this program. He's a Harvard economist and was uh, sort of a wonderkind. Uh, he was, uh, you know, this bright upcoming star in the field of economics at Harvard. And then he um, decided to look into the question of whether or not police are systemically racist such that there is incontrovertible evidence that police uh, kill blacks at a alarming rate at a rate that is disproportionate to their popula- to their population that is uh, disproportionate on a per capita basis to police interaction with white population right. and this is all evidence of systemic racial bias uh, he looked at um, Uh, Houston, Texas, in point of fact, told the story before we told it recently, part of it, at least during uh, the Claudine Gay affair, as she was self-immolating. It was interesting. Um, Some people came out of the woodwork 
to remind the country who Claudine Gay was and what she actually represents. One of them was Wink, uh, Winkfield uh, Twyman, who's a former law professor. He wrote a piece in Newsweek. He's a black gentleman. Wrote a piece in Newsweek talking about, um, um, anybody uh, remember how Claudine Gay made her career by targeting black professors? She bounced uh, Ronald Sullivan from uh, being a dean at Harvard because he joined Harvey Weinstein's legal team. Ronald Sullivan is a black attorney, and he does criminal defense work. And That's uh, what he does. And everybody is entitled to a criminal defense, no matter how uh, noxious they are. Uh, she, he also, and this is uh, these are Twyman's words, but they're accurate. Uh, she also did Claudine created a, a coordinated a witch hunt against Roland Fryer after his research into the killings of unarmed black men in Houston, Texas, found no racial disparities. Uh-oh. Twyman writing, he made the mistake of undercutting the racial narrative that the left has adopted. As a result, Gay did her best to remove all of his academic privileges, coordinating a witch hunt against him, unquote. Fryer uh, survived Gay's crusade of discharge, but Fryer's lab was shut down and his reputation was tarnished. Well, now Roland Fryer is... Uh, He's back, baby. <laughs> ...providing uh, more detail. He did a sit-down with Barry Weiss for her you know, you know, free press outlet, and uh, he provided a little bit more context to what happened when he uh, did this research and was on the cusp of publishing it, and then, of course, the fallout once he did publish it. I collected a lot of data. We collected... Millions of observations on uh, everyday use of force that wasn't lethal. We collected thousands of observations on lethal force. And, and it, it was in this moment, 2016, that I realized people lose their minds when they don't like the result. So what my paper showed, you'll see tomorrow, uh, like some of you, uh, was that, yes, we saw some bias in the low-level uses of force, everyday pushing up against cars and things like that. People tend to like that result. But we didn't find any um, uh, racial bias in police shootings. Now, that was really surprising to me because I expected to see it. The little-known fact is I had eight full-time RAs that it took to do this over nearly a year. When I found the surprising result, I hired eight fresh ones and redid it to make sure. They came up with the same exact answer, and I thought it was robust. And then I went to go give it, and my God, all hell broke loose. It was a 104-page, dense, academic, economics paper with a 150-page appendix, okay? It was posted for four minutes when I got my first email. This is full of shit. Doesn't make any sense. And I wrote back, how'd you read it that fast? That's amazing. You are a genius. And I had colleagues take me into to the side and say, don't publish this. You'll ruin your career. Mm. I said, what are you talking about? I said, what's wrong with it? Do you believe the first part? Yes. Do you believe the second part? Well, it's the issue is they just don't fit together. We like the first one, but you should publish the, no- the second one another time. I said, let me ask this. If the second part about the police shootings, this is a literal conversation. I said to them, if the second part uh, 
showed bias, do you think I would, should publish it then? And they say, yeah, then it would make sense. And I said, I guarantee you I'll publish it. We'll see what happens. So it was, it was you know, I, I lived under, under um, police protection for about 30 or 40 days. I had a seven-day-old daughter at the time. I remember going and shopping for it because, you know, when you have a newborn, you think you have enough diapers. You don't. So I, I was going to the grocery store to get diapers with an armed guard. It was crazy. It was really, truly crazy. Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line. You can also text us at six four six three six. Type in DA then a quick comment. I didn't know he needed police protection, and I did not know he had a seven day year old daughter. The um, uh, point he makes when you present an argument, an evidentiary based argument, uh, that uh, what you understand about the world is not true, people lose their minds. That's that's where we're at. I mean, he's an outstanding black professor who really just exposed the falsehood of their ideology. And she tries to get him. She tried to take his tenure away. Well, forget forget Claudine Gay. Um, the, the conversations he's relaying that he had with colleagues at Harvard University. Um, if if the data said something else, I should publish it. So I'm OK to fraud the data. Well, that, that's Claudine Gay's uh, province. But uh, it's go ahead. Fraud the data if. So long as it comports with our understanding of the world and anything that would challenge my understanding of the world is a you, that needs to be shut down. The men and women of data and science, the deep thinkers, the logicians and philosophers and all of the great academics at Harvard. And this is the response that Roland Fryer got. And it's particularly pronounced because he is black of course it's not just i mean you know remember it's all identity politics so it's not only the conclusion of his research it's who he is you can't have that that's a double whammy it's uh, research that offends our uh, political position and it's a black man presenting it oh heavens Uh, you know, what, what 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 do you say to the people that Roland Fryer is referencing in the conversations he had? I mean, I would never send a child to Harvard. It, but it's so much bigger than Harvard, of course. It's it is ubiquitous. And and I mean, Roland Fryer, thankfully, had the academic integrity to go ahead and do it anyway, to go ahead and publish it anyway, even despite the, the warnings, as it were. But what does that say? And how do people who are otherwise, uh, I want to say intelligent, but that's probably too, ben- too, too, too uh, generous, credentialed, I mean, you're really going to live life in such a cowardly mealy-mouthed way and try to cower others into living life the same way. I mean, this is this is literally ripped from dystopian novels about do not, Roland, Roland, don't be the nail that sticks out. It's like communist country stuff. Uh, just a reminder, too, on this or another anecdote, because, you know, these things are forgotten and the uh, stories are forgotten, which I'm glad 
uh, which is why I'm glad Roland Fryer is revisiting his. Remember the story of Zach Kriegman? Zach Kriegman was the um, director of data science for Thomson Reuters. Reuters, the news outlet. Director of data science for Reuters, Zach Kriegman. Making 350 grand a year, running a team of data scientists. Uh, he writes this, uh, wrote this piece in uh, May of 2022. I stumbled uh, on a really big story. It was uh, about black Americans being gunned down across the country and the ways in which we report on that violence. We had been talking nonstop about race and police brutality, and I thought, this is a story that could save lives. This is a story that has to be told. But it's a story Reuters didn't want to tell. In 2020, he writes, I started to witness the spread of a new ideology inside the company, our internal collaboration platform, The Hub. People would post about the self-indulgent tears of white women and the danger of white privileged glasses. They'd share articles with titles like Seeing White, Habits of Whiteness, How to Be a Better White Person. There was fervent and vocal support for Black Lives Matter at every level of the company. No one challenged the racial essentialism or the groupthink. This concerned me because I had been following the academic research on BLM for years, and I had come to the conclusion that the claim upon which the whole movement rested, that police readily shoot more, that police more readily shoot black people, was false. The data was unequivocal. It showed that, if anything, police were slightly less likely to use lethal force against black suspects than white ones. Less likely. Stats from the most complete database of police shootings compiled by the Washington Post, no less, indicated that over the last five years, police have fatally shot 39% more unarmed whites than blacks. Because there are roughly six times as many white Americans as black Americans, that figure should be closer to 600%, BLM activists insist. The fact that it's not, the f that there's more than a 500 percentage point gap between reality and expectation is evidence of police bias uh, in departments across the United States, they say. But it's more complicated than that. So he goes on to explain, because he's a data scientist. When it comes to measuring cops' racial attitudes, it's important we compare apples to apples, black suspects who pose a grave danger and white su suspects who do the same. According to calculations uh, based on FBI data, Black Americans account for 37% of those who murder police officers and 34% of the unarmed suspects killed by police. Meanwhile, whites make up 43% of cop killers and 42% of the unarmed suspects shot by police, meaning whites are killed by police at a 7% higher rate than blacks. If you broaden the analysis to include armed suspects, the gap is even wider with whites shot at a 70% higher rate than blacks. Other experts uh, in the field concur, and he links to them, that in relation to the number of police officers murdered, whites are shot disproportionately. And um, he mentions Roland Fryer's work that we were just discussing. And uh, what happened to Zach Kriegman? I'll let you guess, if you don't remember. Gone. Yeah. Fired. Uh, from Raiders. One of the, you know, news organ, the biggest news organizations in the country. I, I, I just can't impress upon. I don't know. Maybe it's his impress, and I'm just being redundant. But it just this this stuff is so important. It's as important as what we were talking about yesterday, 
with the deep state censorship program to suppress uh, dissent on social media and online in advance of the election to help rig the election for somebody that uh, will you know, follow the proper protocols when it comes to how we're supposed to uh, make policy and particularly national security policy, but not limited to national security policy. The, 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 the elimination of dissent, the unanimity of the graveyard, as Justice Robert Jackson said. Chuck in Delavan, Wisconsin, here in Chicago's Morning Answer. How you doing? You sort of stole my thunder. I, I called in to tell you there's way more whites. That's why, you know, and then whites, there's whites that don't behave. Uh, and except for when the NFL has, if there was an alien spaceship that would fly by during the halftime show, uh, it's 100% black. They would think the whole population of the world is black. If you've seen the last halftime show, there were no Asians, there were no whites, there was no Hispanics. Are you telling me an Asian guy can't blow a tuba? The drum and bugle corps, everybody was black. So anyway, uh, but well, there's way more whites. So well, thank you. All right. <laughs> okay. That's, that's a good example of uh, not data science, but uh, okay. Yeah. Um, just as a related story. Uh, you know, there are there are these young black emerging leaders who are not down with the elimination of dissent and the, uh, the embrace of permanent victim status. One of them is King Randall, who we've uh, brought you before. He's been on the show. He's the young man who started this school in Albany, Georgia, one of the poorest communities in Georgia, called the Life Preparatory School, specifically for young black kids, black boys. And um, he just posted online, this is this is remarkable. You know, the talk, the talk, the talk, police, police. Okay, well, let's have the talk. King Randall did a demonstration for his students of what you're supposed to do in a, with a police stop. He's the individual being stopped. Awesome. A black police officer, you Great. know, is uh, is uh, going along with this sketch to show the boys what to do. Take a listen. How you doing, sir? Doing good. Come to my Franklin Army Police Department. First thing I want to do is already have my stuff ready, okay? Yes, sir. You don't want to get to the, the freaking car, and when he gets to the car, you got to go fumbling around looking for stuff, right? Yes, sir. Why don't, why don't we want to fumble around looking for stuff? Exactly. They're going to feel unsafe. You understand? Yes, sir. So regardless of whether they should or shouldn't feel unsafe, that makes somebody feel unsafe. You fumbling around because things happen, right? Yes, sir. So when they get there, the first thing you want to do is already have your license ready and have your hands on the steering wheel. You understand? Yes, sir. Have your hands on the steering wheel. Why? Because before they don't think you reach for nothing. So you're not reaching for stuff, right? Yes, sir. All right, cool. And another thing I want to do, I'm going to let all my windows down, okay? I ain't got nothing to hide, right? Yes, sir. So I'm going to let all my windows down in the car. And if it's nighttime, I'm going to turn the car light on so everybody, so he can see everything in the car, right? Yes, sir. Why am I doing that? Exactly. Everybody feels safe, right? Yes, sir. So we already starting the, the, the stop off great. He probably in a good mood that I done let the window down. I done turned the lights on. He probably in a better mood now, right? Yes, sir. All right, so boom, he going to come to the car. Yes, sir. All right, cool. So he going to get my license. He may or may not go back to the car, which they usually do. They're going to basically see, check your name, see if you got any warrants, if your license is suspended, blah, blah, blah. But you sit tight and just wait for him to finish. Good? Yes, sir. All right, cool. He's coming back. Bring my license. He's probably going to give me a ticket for not having my seatbelt on. Now, what's the wrong thing to do if I'm getting pulled over and he come he come up to the car? Wrong. 
Nah, what run? We're not gonna run. And what what's another thing we're not gonna do? Talk. Talk, talk back. back, cussing, talking smack, all that stuff, right? Yes, sir. We're not doing none of that number if we get pulled up. We're not talking smack, we're not cussing, we're not telling them what our rights is, blase, blase, blah. We're not doing none of that. You understand? Yes, sir. We're trying to get home. And he's trying to get home. Cool? Yes, sir. Cool. I love yeah. it. They should do that in every driver's ed class. And the race hustlers and those that would, you know, silence the Roland Friars and the Zach Kriegmans of the world, they're the ones who foment mistrust. They're the ones who incentivize confrontation. And ultimately, that costs lives on the police side as well as the civilian side. I mean, a little bit of knowledge is going to go a long way in keeping people safe. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Insert Democrat Socialist here. Runs the Democratic House for 30-plus years running. He's promising this and he's stealing that. Where can you get that kind of money? He's using your house like his own piggy bank. Gang, 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 gang. You ought to know by now. You can pay off your house here in Illinois. But you can never keep up with the taxes. Oh, how it's always been the plan. To have a taxpayer pay, no doubt. Not a matter of if anymore, but when. You're moving out. When you're moving out. That's uh, music. Uh, means it's time for our weekly confab with Ted Dabrowski, President of Wirepoints, wirepoints.org, all things Illinois policy related. The uh, March primary ballot uh, brings some um, school referenda. Big cash grabs from your big school districts. And, of course, uh, I suspect most of them will pass because you can't spend enough. It's for the children, Dan. You cannot spend enough on K-12 education. (laughs) Every dollar spent is to ensure, and it's worth it, and this and that. And sure, it's not empire building, and we need that uh, fancy new teacher's lounge and the the new aquatic center and so on and so forth, wine cellars, whatever. Whatever they want, give it to them. Uh, Liquidate my house, please. Okay, they will. Uh, for example, Glenbar District 87, $183 million uh, bond referendum. $183 million. Yeah, $183 million uh, bond will be decided by District 87 voters. Um, as of last year, 40% of students meet or exceed SAT standards in English. 37.5% of students were... Uh, uh, meet or exceed standards in math. Mm-hmm. Money uh, is going to be, uh, as you might expect, not really devoted to instruction per se, but to campus life in District 87, which is the most important thing. <laughs> uh, according to um, 
one local, District 87. Uh, the district has spent $150 million of taxpayer money the last 12 years fixing up the schools. Well, now it needs 183 and one. That's a big For, ask. Oh. Oh, it's not? Okay. I mean, can you, can you put a price on your child's education? For more on this, uh, Ted Dabrowski. Ted, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. Uh, District 87, Wilmette's Avoca School District 37, uh, Lake Zurich School District 95, Prospect. I see Prospect Heights on the board, Itasca, Norridge, Course. You know, with a problem in uh, with K through 12 education in Illinois, Ted, we don't spend enough money. We don't spend enough money. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fascinating. We we spend uh, overall twenty four thousand dollars a kid when you add it all up. So uh, some of the biggest in the country. So we, we spend plenty of money, but uh, apparently we need more for, for making things shiny and pretty in, in more schools. Do you want people? Do you want our kids to be on, and and teachers alike unsafe at the schools? Do you want? I mean, I assume that uh, the, for example, the Avoca uh, grade school district there, their referendum. I mean, uh, y- y- there's, you can't put a price on the quality of the learning environment. Uh, I- I'm sure the Avoca schools are decrepit. They're probably rat infested. Tell me a horror story about the Wilmette schools that requires uh, $90 million. It is Wilmette. Uh, Dan, so it's it's very dangerous, very uh, yes, you know, I know. Bottom bottom of the. No, are you these, know, for, you know, are these for metal detectors at the Avoca schools, or what? what? Exactly. The um, yeah. So what's what's fascinating about this, and, and you know, my 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 colleague Nick Bonatti and you know, and the team at Wirepoints, we started looking at these things, and something we've never done is is so you know these these uh, referendums. You have a pro side and the con side. And and you know they they raise money to to promote you know what they're for, yard signs and phone banking and all that. But you know when you start to look at the flow of money, you start to realize, wait a minute, there's a this this thing starts really unfair for the people who are against tax hikes because uh, by the time they figure out what's going on, the pro side, the supporters of these tax hikes or bonds uh, are already organized and you know it's the engineering firms the architecture firms the the teachers union they all dumping tons of money into these ballot committees uh to spend to spend money and uh ordinary residents who, who think these are normal they, they have no idea what's going on and then they get blasted of course and these things yeah, well well i mean is there any opposition by the way i mean concentrated benefits and diffuse costs it's uh it's uh, an econ 101 lesson and um to the extent there's opposition I don't know. I mean, the costs are getting less and less diffuse. Uh, they're diffusing the value of homes, but um, but but uh, I mean, these these are all going to pass. I mean, who dare vote against a referendum in Wilmette for good or Glen Ellen for goodness sakes? No, you don't. You, are you against education? Do you hate teachers? Oh yeah, and, and then they always do the, the typical thing: we're going to cancel football and yeah, ban yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, then they charge the money. That's that's the typical one. Yeah, and then with something new that started, I think like five or ten years ago, charging parents for if you want your kids to play sports in high school. Yeah, there you go. Which but, is but, another but money grab. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. You know, I, I see this like this architecture firm. You know, they're doing whatever's legal. So I'm not going to hit them for yeah. being, doing something no. illegal. I'm sure right. it's, it's it's the legal corruption we have in Illinois. But DLA Architects, they're donating to every ballot initiative that supports. 
you know, these well, new school buildings and stuff. And well, right. you know, it's, well, it's like they're, they're interested parties, but I mean, that's that's I mean, it's, it's no different than you know what happens at the state level or the city of Chicago. I mean, it's that's just right. Interested parties. I mean, it's yeah, we're going to get work out of this. This is we want we want people we want school districts to build because we design school district buildings and and the same thing with construction companies and everybody else that um, benefits from the passage here. So I, I mean, it doesn't, so I, I don't know. What's the, what's the problem with that? It's just the, the uh, legalized pay to play. And, and uh, you know, the other side doesn't have such, uh, such, uh, you know, aggregation of groups with money to put it, put against it. So it's uh, you know, and, and they do this early on, you know, the superintendent knows what's, what he wants he, uh, he or she, they, they bring in the architecture firm. They negotiate all this stuff ahead of time. They, they get they get the money all organized, and then they announce it. And uh, the opposition is just way, way late. So this is this is what they need. You know, people need to know what the playbook looks like uh, before it hits your district, not not when it hits your district. Well, but, I mean, that sort of assumes though that I mean the 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 uh, highly educated, enlightened denizens of Wilmette or the Avoca School District specifically that. Um, they're easily buffaloed by a coordinated effort uh, from would-be school contractors and uh, and administrative staff that want and teachers unions that want to see this pass. So, um, they have no capacity for independent thought to assess a ninety million dollar ask on the uh, merits. They have no ability to connect dots to uh, that sort of. Uh, bond issue and their property taxes and their home values and what they're getting and so I mean there's no there's no there's no there's no capacity for critical thought is that what we're to understand <laughs> right there's some, some of that definitely goes on obviously but uh, but the other part is is the uh, systems against you so you got you got to know the Goliath you're up against and get ready well right. I mean what, what do, do do you know offhand um I mean, it's a very high percentage of these bond issues that pass, even in austere times. And I suspect that will happen again in March, don't you? Yeah, it's, you know, it's 50 to 60 percent. The only times that they, they, they struggled, these bond referendums struggled, was when, when you hit these financial crises in 08, 09 and stuff like that. But for the most part, say two out of three pass. Uh, you know, the, the system set up well for it. Yeah, and not only that, but, you know, school districts are very good at getting the superintendents that are really good at doing these things already in the past. Sure. That's what's happening in in, in Avoca. Sure. You know, the oh, guy, the guy at Avoca, Lake Zurich. He did. Yeah. yeah, exactly. What, what happened in Lake Zurich? Well, Lake Zurich, um, 95, the same guy that's doing Avoca successfully did this bond referendum in Lake Zurich just a few years ago. So he, and it's the same like architecture firm. So they know how to piece together these things and, and make them happen. It's wonderful. All right. I had a aha moment. It only took me 30 years. Because, um, Dan, you've been saying it like that. Reverend Jackson, shakedown artist. Not a reverend. Father Flager, shakedown Shouldn't artist. Shouldn't be a father. Okay. <laughs> so all this time, because the DNC's coming, we'll be here before you know it, guys. And all this time, you know, he was worried about the homeless, saying don't come here because we don't have our act together. We don't want you to come here, spend millions, leave here, and we got the same damn situation before you came here. But guess what? The other day, now it, it hit me. You are a hundred percent correct. He's a shakedown artist. He doesn't want. He's just you know been harping about this. You know, not coming to the DNC. But now he wants the DNC to pay for the homeless situation permanently. It's a shakedown. So we say to the government, if you want to come into Chicago, and you want to come in and do a 
big convention where millions of dollars we spent on parties and on lobbyists and on hotels and on restaurants will come also with billions of dollars and a commitment to do something with homelessness in America. Yeah, okay, Archie, now go back and play with Jughead. Uh, yeah. Well, that so, was a yes. shakedown. So he, he built this so? up for three weeks. Well, I feel like a fool because you've been saying all along that he's a shakedown artist. Where when I met him, you know, oh. he said, you come to my church, you're naked and you're hungry, we will clothe you, we will feed you like Jesus people, did. People are coming to, to St. Sabina naked? <laughs> that's what he's <laughs> Well, I don't think that has any, I think something else is going on if that's true. But anyway, go ahead. No, no, I'm just saying that that's the Father Flager that I met years ago. Like, oh, oh, yeah, you know. right. Yeah, sure. He just wants his cut of the pie. Uh, Maybe all, all you got to do yeah, is stunning. ask. You got to ask for money. That's all they're doing, right? Right. Need more money. Need more money. Um, speaking of uh, that, uh, this uh, contretemps of sorts, it's brewing. I, I don't want to to make more of it than it is, but I, I just, I as we, t- we open the show talking about this, I hate when our electeds, our betters, uh, aren't getting along. Because the most important thing is that they work together, that they do things together. Because if they do things together, it can only be good things. Like, for example, spend uh, $250 million on migrants. So that's the, the state, the county, and the city. The city's supposed to come up with $71 million, but BLM Brandon is balking right now. And, you know, I just want them to to work together to do things for the people that are most important to us in Illinois, the people here illegally. Well, Dan, Brandon Johnson is finally listening to constituents. He doesn't you know, they don't want more money for migrants. So he's finally listening to them. So he's uh, he's doing all along. He's he's doing what he should have done all along. Look, you know, I think you're going to see this 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 thing between Pritzker and 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 Johnson. I've mentioned it before. It's going to keep getting worse and worse as we get closer to DNC because, you know, Johnson, as he's shown, has no clue on what to do, how to manage, and uh, you know, he's going to get in Pritzker's way. So uh, watch, watch out. You know, by the way, we we wrote about this. We we have spent over twenty four thousand dollars per uh, quote asylum seeker so far, but now with this new money. Um, Granted, it's going to be over thirty thousand per per asylum seeker, so it's it's, get, uh, the it's numbers get, are growing. Yeah, it's getting close to how much we spend for uh, uh, CPS students, and now with these bond issues too, you're going to start getting close to that in the uh, leafy suburban school districts too. So, um, uh, Jelly Belly is going to give his state of the state address, and what a momentous affair that will be. Uh, I assume this this will be addressed because. Um, uh, you know, the state's still kicking in cash here and trying to incentivize communities not named Chicago to embrace. Yeah, he's uh, he's going to give his state of the state speech. It's going to be probably his most consequential speech because this will be his his play at uh, you know, maybe maybe the presidency. He's going to have to present for the DNC. This is an awesome Illinois, an awesome Chicago. We are the leaders in the country. So <laughs> it's going to be probably the best thing you've ever heard and uh you know look look for a lot of pushback after he's done because he's gonna make a lot of claims that i think are easily refutable yeah the land of abortion mills uh marijuana dispensaries gambling halls and uh, currency uh exchanges i mean that's it's but you know uh, right it's the model this yeah is, well this, don't this forget don't, don't forget the windmill economy right here in illinois yeah, you know, flush with windmills and uh, solar panels everywhere. Well, that too, that's and and don't don't for mention uh, EV batteries, you know. Oh, that's right. 
Yeah, that's right. So, so you know, I, I think it's gonna be really interesting, and it, it, it's he can't, you know, he will never say one negative thing. It's all highly positive, and I guess that's that's hard. That's the hard part of it. You know, he's never honest about about the difficulties we have here. Uh, maybe maybe he'll do one or two. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it's migrants or something, but I doubt it. Well, he we have a difficulty. We have uh, some MAGA cultists here, and uh, they need to be dealt with forthwith. And he's he's just the man to do it too. Right-wing extremists that dominate Illinois, conservative press corps, you know, that's what, what he's up against. But don't you fret, because he is equal to the challenge from these right-wing extremists that are trying to undermine the wonderful successes that Dear Leader has brought to the land of Lincoln. Okay. Ted Dabrowski, President of WirePoints, WirePoints.org, all things Illinois policy-related. Ted, thank you as always. Thank you, guys. Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, as we uh, discussed a bit earlier in the program, I'm uh, still a little unsatisfied with the uh, level of detail and really the interest in getting the detail associated with the horrific shooting that occurred at the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl parade slash celebration where a woman was murdered and 23 people were shot. But that's not the focus of... Kansas City Mayor Quentin Lucas. He's focused on something Missouri Governor Mike Parson said that just cannot stand. Look, we have to get the um, noun usage proper if we're going to have uh, civil society where we paper over the shooting of 23 people. He's going to join us later on in this program. After the shooting, he said we can't let some thugs and criminals just take over and ruin what happened. I gather that's not quite your assessment of what happened that day. I have respect for the governor. Uh, we get along well. I, I disagree strongly with uh, how he would describe that situation. I, I certainly do think this was criminal activity. It was lawlessness, and I think that uh, that's troubling. But thugs is a dog whistle in the most classic sense. And I have seen this dog whistle time and again. There's this kind of giant conservative theory on social media now that the reason that monk shots haven't been shown is because the purported defendants are black. And if it were a white defendant, we would have just shown them. It is absolutely preposterous. There are protections to juveniles. Our city has a gun violence problem. Hmm. Yeah, I'd say a city has a gang problem. Well, it it sounded like at least uh, Quentin Lucas was mildly troubled by uh, two people apparently opening fire in a crowd of tens of thousands of people and injuring 23, killing one. And and obviously it could have been so much worse. And he's he's mildly troubled like that. But but I mean, let's focus on what's really important. Uh, The governor's use of thugs to describe people who would commit such a heinous, thoughtless, barbaric act. Let's, let's see how you describe them as what's really material here. God, I mean, I would have called them gangbangers. Uh, for more on this and other 
law-related matters. We're pleased to be joined by Will Scharf. He's a former federal prosecutor, appellate attorney for former President Donald Trump, and Republican candidate for Missouri Attorney General as well. Will, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Great to be with you guys. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, could we have you, as a, a former federal prosecutor, could we have you adjudicate this matter between Governor Parson and uh, Mayor Lucas there? Uh, what is the proper terminology, since this is what uh, apparently is important to the mayor? Yeah, you know, I think thug really sums it up. I don't see how that's a dog whistle. These guys are thugs. The dirty secret is that practically every weekend night in St. Louis and Kansas City, uh, you have a situation where gangs are drawing guns on each other and more often than not shooting at each other. The only thing unique about this incident in Kansas City is that it happened at a at a highly publicized, you know, very public event uh, with the Chiefs parade going on. But the gang violence problem in St. Louis and Kansas City, I know the same is true in Chicago. It's a profound problem. And for a guy like Quentin Lucas, the mayor of Kansas City, to be focusing on, you know, terminology and trying to turn this into some kind of a race thing. Uh, it, it's just silly. I mean, we've got to get this problem under control. Otherwise, our cities are going to continue just being these wastelands of crime. Well, do you think we'll know more about the situation I mean, if, if these two are tried as adults? Yeah, I think that's where the legal system is going to go here. Uh, a real problem we have in Missouri, though, is soft bail laws that allow even violent criminals to bond out after 24 hours. It often takes a while to get them charged. It takes even longer to get them in custody. And a trial like this could drag for years and years while these kids are still out on the street, probably tooling around with guns, probably hanging out with their same uh, sort of gang sets. And that's just not a way to control crime. We need tougher bail laws. We need pretrial detention. We need truth in sentencing laws. Uh, otherwise, these problems are just going to continue reoccurring time and time again. Is there anything about what occurred that day? I mean, I just again, I, I as I said at the outset, I, I just feel like I'm not getting the complete story and an explanation that supports the official story that's been offered. Um, any details that you have that you understand to be true that have not been reported or anything that has been misreported? Based on conversations with with law enforcement, I think the official story seems to be what happened, that this was, uh, you know, two rival groups that kind of beefed with each other. Uh, guns were drawn and shots were fired. Again, that's something that happens in St. Louis and Kansas City with surprising regularity. Um, the, the only difference here is that it happened in the middle of a Super Bowl parade. Uh, but this gang problem is is a real issue, and it's uh, it's turned our streets into just a you know a shooting gallery, but more often than not. Well, with respect to that uh, uh, that uh, soft bail law that you were describing, of course we know all about that in Illinois. Uh, much, yeah. wor bail. much worse, even worse than that, even worse than yours. Um, what where where's the Republican party on that? Well, you know, I think in, in Missouri, we have an issue with a lot of people who put ours next to their name, uh, who don't really share our conservative values and who aren't really uh, willing to put themselves on the line to get good conservative policy done. Uh, this is something that I've been calling for for a while. Uh, you know, the federal constitutional standard, the Supreme Court has said that if somebody's a danger to the community or if they present a risk of non-appearance, uh, they can be held in pretrial detention. They can be held pending trial. Uh, that's the way it works in the federal system. I think that's the way it should work in the state system as well, both here in Missouri and Illinois, just about everywhere. 
if you have these kids who are associated with incredibly violent street gangs who are picked up for a violent felony, I just I, I see no reason why they should be bonded out on cash bail, on recognizance, on whatever. They should be held until they're tried because they pose a danger to the community. Well, there's so much going on in, in the at the in the criminal justice system, both at the state level you're describing in Missouri, we know in Illinois, as well as at the federal level, too. And and some of it doesn't have to do with Trump, uh, remarkably enough. This uh, coming out of the Southern District of Illinois, there are three federal judges, David Dugan, Nancy Rosenstangle and Stacey Yandel, that in their courtrooms are providing extra time for oral arguments only for young lawyers who are either female or minority. Oh, dear Lord. I mean, oh, I mean, this has drawn a complaint to the Seventh Circuit, but they, they, they have increasing opportunities for courtroom advocacy is their identical order, uh, and it provides more time for addressing the court based on your gender or race. I mean... I, I'm, I, I rarely get surprised anymore. How can you get surprised by the identitarian <laughs> politics of our culture? But, but this is really something. I think these federal judges should be remanded back to the first year of law school constitutional classes that they apparently missed. Equal protection means equal protection. That's just not a distinction you're allowed to make under the law. And it's outrageous that their courtroom policies are essentially setting up a segregated system of justice depending on the color of your counsel. I mean, that's just it's absolutely insane. Uh, but as you said, I mean, this identitarian politics movement, it's got to stop. It's it's balkanizing America. It's causing immense social harm. Uh, we need to treat each other as, as fellow Americans and fellow people and and just strip down this uh, this system of race based spoils that the left seems so intent on enacting. Uh, we've got a, a problem with how we do, uh, how we fill judicial vacancies in Illinois, how we slate judges in Cook County. So we've got some issues, um, and this has been hotly debated for a while. Although there's not much debate in Illinois anymore, since there's no opposition party. But um, <laughs> uh, as part of your uh, candidacy for attorney general, you you have a plan to uh, change the way that. Uh, judicial vacancies are filled in Missouri. So I, I, I'd be interested to hear the, the exact problem and your solution. Sure. And just by way of background, during the Trump administration, I worked on judicial confirmations and nominations in D.C. I was on the teams that confirmed Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court, lower court judges all over America. Uh, so I have experience with, with judicial selection processes. Here in Missouri, we have a system called the Missouri Plan uh, that basically turns over control of the appointment process uh, to elected members of the Missouri Bar. What's happened is is that the trial lawyers have organized. Uh, they're very adept at getting their people onto the panels that the governor is then uh, forced to pick from. And what's, what that's led to is as the, the state of Missouri has shifted further and further right, our courts seem to have tilted further and further left. Uh, so I think it's it's almost an anti-democratic problem that's occurred here. Uh, I've proposed switching either to the federal model of direct appointment or just to judicial elections. Uh, but this insane situation where the, the cartel of trial lawyers controls judicial appointment in this state, uh, especially at our highest courts, our Court of Appeals and, and the Missouri Supreme Court, 
uh, it's just it's, it's a totally unfair, undemocratic system. and It's, it's got to change. Well, it's interesting because, you know, the argument uh, in Illinois for a long time had been we need to go to merit selection so we don't have judicial races and so on and so forth. But, yeah, that the problem always is right. So uh, who selects? the merit selection board. And as you say, you get agency capture from trial lawyers. And then even if you have uh, conservative leadership in the legislature and the governor's mansion, you still have you still have this problem. You're you're you know being left with uh, a false choice. So it's really interesting just because the merit selection argument has been made here. That's why I wanted you to uh, distill it. Uh, the uh, your reaction uh, now. Let's go to the Trump yeah, trials Trump. since I yeah. sort of foreshadowed <laughs> them. Um, we, your, your reaction to let's start in Fulton County and uh, your assessment of whether or not uh, Fonnie Willis should be and and and, and the Fulton County uh, State's Attorney's District Attorney's Office should be removed from that case. Yeah, I mean, I think the case for disqualification there is incredibly strong. The whole nation saw Fonnie Willis just imploding on the stand last week. Uh, This is a prosecution that was corrupted from its start uh, by the fact that Fonnie Willis hired her secret lover, paid him about a million taxpayer dollars to prosecute Trump. Uh, It's an insane conflict of interest. She hasn't done anything to alleviate that concern. I think both she and Nathan Wade, her lover slash special prosecutor, need to be disqualified, and I'm hopeful that that entire case is dismissed. More than that, though, based on her testimony last week, I think Fonnie Willis faces very real criminal jeopardy. She may be in more legal trouble than President Trump or any of his co-defendants are at this point uh, in terms of a potential federal honest services fraud or wire fraud prosecution. Uh, I mean, what's gone on there is absolutely insane, and I'm happy that some of it at least is finally coming to public light. And the insanity continued in New York when, you know, (laughs) uh, on last Friday when Donald Trump, they're ordered to pay more than $360 million after being found liable for defrauding banks and insurers, even though they got loan from banks and they repaid them with interest. Yeah, I mean, the banks were testifying in in President Trump's favor. His insurers were testifying in his favor. They said, you know, these were good loans. We knew exactly what we were getting into. There was no fraud. I'm a former federal prosecutor. This is the first case I've ever seen uh, of a fraud allegation with no victim. So the fact that they're trying to dismantle President Trump's businesses, businesses he spent a lifetime building, uh, it's just it's, it's politicization of our legal system run amok. And we're certainly hopeful that on appeal, uh, I think we have very strong arguments and we're, we're hopeful that we can uh, get that judgment overturned or at the very least stripped back dramatically. Uh, but it just goes to show how far the left are willing to go uh, weaponizing law enforcement to go after conservatives like President Trump. It's, it's anti-democratic. It's anti-American. Uh, it cuts to the heart of the rule of law and our constitutional principles. So it's a very, very sad day for the American Republic, I think. Uh, Letitia James, you know, she she did the typical sort of Elliot Ness, uh, no one's above the law uh, rap after the the uh, penalty was imposed. But but, you know, she she tried to address this argument that there are no victims here because the banks got repaid and they had no problems. Um, Somehow she argued that New York taxpayers were the victims um, because Trump got away with not paying something that he would have otherwise had to pay if he hadn't uh, provided uh, fraudulent valuations on some properties. I mean, I, I don't 
I, I don't understand what what exactly she is asserting that he uh, that that he got away with in terms of monies owed to city or state government. Do you? Yeah, look, I think Tish James is lying to the world. She ran for office on the platform of I am going to sue Donald Trump and take all of his money away. She strung together this absurd case using a wildly overaggressive, overexpansive uh, application of this New York civil fraud statute. And we are where we are. And nothing she can say on the back end changes the fact that this was a malicious prosecution, that this case should have never been brought. And I think you have legal commentators from across the political spectrum saying that this is just a very, very dangerous thing. I mean, if you're a businessman in New York today and you know that if your politics are disfavored by the attorney general, uh, they can just drag you into court and prosecute you for non-crimes, take away millions of your dollars, take away your businesses, take away your right to do business. I mean, why the heck would you stay in New York? It's one of the reasons why you know, financial sector businesses, all kinds of businesses are fleeing New York for states like Florida and Tennessee and Texas. I mean, who would want to live under that kind of a legal regime? If if uh, this verdict, uh, the $350 million verdict, is not overturned at the appellate level, is there a way for Trump to get this, uh, to, to raise a federal issue, to get this before the Supreme Court? You know, I think a, a collateral federal attack is a, is a possibility here. I will say, though, that the New York Appellate Division, the New York Appellate Courts, have overruled Judge Ngoron twice uh, in interlocutory right. appeals during the pendency of this case. So I think that even liberal judges, but more serious liberal judges in New York, understand uh, just how extra legal, just how crazy this whole case has been from the start. And uh, we're certainly hopeful that uh, that things move in a positive direction from here as we move into the New York appellate courts. On the Fonnie Willis matter, uh, I mean, I, I understand, understand the possibility of a perjury charge, uh, but uh, explain why she could be open to a criminal charge of, of wire fraud. Well, so let's take honest services fraud because it's a clear example. I mean, if she appointed Nathan Wade and paid him taxpayer dollars, with the knowledge that some of those dollars would then end up redounding to her benefit. Uh, if she structured that appointment uh, for an improper reason, essentially, mm -hmm. uh, th that could fall within the federal honest services fraud statute. Uh, in terms of wire fraud, I mean, there seems to be just a ton of, of, based on her testimony, which was absurd, there seems to be a ton of cash moving around in weird directions. She's claiming that things were reimbursed, and maybe they were, maybe they weren't. I mean, let's pull the bank records and see what actually happened here. But if I were a prosecutor in Georgia and I were watching her testimony, I mean, it's just alarm bell after alarm bell after alarm bell. And whenever you have financial transactions that are structured in a way uh, to avoid oversight, uh, structured in a way to, uh, uh, to avoid paperwork, essentially, which is what she was testifying to, uh, that's where uh, federal laws like like wire fraud, like, frankly, money laundering statutes uh, have the potential to come into play. I mean, there was a lot of money uh, moving through her office into the special prosecutor's office, including apparently covid relief funds. Uh, there are just any number of federal nexuses to what she was she was testifying about. And I'm curious to see how that how that proceeds. I think the fact that she testified the way that she did, the fact that she insisted that there were these cash reimbursements, you know, essentially untraceable cash that she just had lying around her house, it was just deeply, deeply weird. 
and it speaks to, in my view, to her knowledge that she did something wrong and her uh, attempt to essentially cover that up. He is Will Shar, former federal prosecutor, appellate attorney for former President Trump and candidate, Republican candidate for Missouri Attorney General. The website for more information on his candidacy, vote Scharf, S-C-H-A-R-F, Will Scharf, votescharf.com. Will Scharf, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah, great to be with you guys. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Before we get to Barkley, I, I just I have to address this other uh, matter of quasi-legality uh, per our conversation with Will Sharp, and it's something that uh, Mike Scott's been reporting this morning. What's this uh, question and answer from Nikki Haley at this Fox News town hall where she was asked uh, about uh, whether or not she would pardon Trump if she were president. And she said this. You know, if you're talking about pardoning Trump, it's not a matter of innocence or guilt at that point, because that means he would have already been found guilty. I believe in the best interest of bringing the country together. I would pardon Donald Trump because I think it's important for the country to move on. We've got to leave the negativity and the baggage behind. I don't want this country divided any further. I don't think it's in the best interest for America to have an 80-year-old president sitting in jail and having everybody upset about it. I think this would be the time that we would need to move forward and get this out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I sort of was ambivalent about Nikki Haley, but the longer this has dragged on, uh, the more annoyed I am, the more unimpressed I am, the more it has become clear that uh, she basically will say anything at any moment uh, to pander um, from her, you know, identitarian gender politics rap to just rank ignorance. First of all, Nikki. Um, you may want to talk, take a little walk down memory lane in American history because it happened during your lifetime. President Trump doesn't need to be convicted for you to pardon him. Uh, you may recall the Gerald Ford pardon of, Nick, of Richard Nixon. Was Richard Nixon convicted of something? No. Right. So that's not true. And it's her way. I, 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 it wouldn't surprise me if she had no idea. And maybe nobody on her staff did either. It wouldn't surprise me if it's just an, an instance of ignorance. It also wouldn't surprise me if it's more conniving than that. We're going we're gonna to feign ignorance to focus on having to not make a determination about whether these uh, trumped-up charges in kangaroo jurisdictions are legitimate or not. So I, I don't want to weigh in on innocence or, or uh, uh, guilt. I just want to tell you I would do this in the interest of being a uniter. It's really quite canned, I think transparently so. I mean, maybe not to the the yapping seals in that town hall audience, but um, I just I'm, I'm I'm less and less impressed with her with each passing day, and she is going to get 
demolished in South Carolina, and if she wants to limp to Super Tuesday and get demolished there too, fine, do whatever you want. But I, you know, what what the play here is if she has a political one, if it's anything beyond um, increased speaking fees and a better book deal next go round for Simon and Schuster, then I have no idea what she's doing. There's a there's literally no point to her candidacy. It is completely uninspired. It is unprincipled. It is unintelligible, actually. And I just had to get that off my chest. Okay. All right. I feel better. Good. Um, Sir Charles Barkley, uh, did you catch the NBA All-Star game? Yeah, I purposely missed it because it's very boring, the NBA in general. But, yes, no, I, I know it, it It took place. Was it in Indianapolis? Yeah, okay. um, apparently. The sure. the NBA is quickly approaching soccer, uh, in Uh-oh. my view, as just it is completely unwatchable. But the games are boring. When was the last Bulls game you went to? I fell asleep. I would rather watch a hot dog eating contest between J.B. Pritzker and Chris Christie than the NBA <laughs> All-Star game. Well, so, so what most Americans do. So that's why I missed uh, this. But uh-huh. apparently there was a little back and forth between um, Sir Charles Barkley and Reggie Miller about uh, about Indianapolis versus San Francisco because I guess Reggie was complaining about Indy being cold. And so Charles chimed in, and uh, this was the exchange. Hey, 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 Reggie. Yes? If you had a, if you had a chance of being cold or being around a bunch of homeless crooks in San Francisco, when you... Oh, that's a oh, terrible. Oh, oh, No, we don't. Yes, we do. You can't even walk around down yes, there. Yes, you can walk around. Yeah, with a bulletproof bag. Hey, Chuck, you live in Philadelphia. Taylor, that little red button on that microphone says cough. Just hold that down. Just hold that thing down. You know what? Uh, uh, Barkley is, is, it is welcome relief from the, um, you know, leftist blob that is the rest of, most of the rest of the sports press corps. Yeah, homeless crooks in San Francisco. That is what it is. No, but he's telling the truth. And then, you know, if you want to walk around, yeah, sure, with a bulletproof vest. And they're like, oh, you can't say that. Well, well, he did. Well, uh, Kevin O'Leary also had some comments about uh, San Francisco and California generally uh, in response to being queried uh, by Stuart Varney about the proposal we talked uh, last week about Barbara Lee, Congressman Barbara Lee's $50 an hour minimum wage proposal. Mm -hmm. She's trying to elevate herself to Senate. Sure, why not? It's California. The problem with that narrative is it does not discuss the real root issue. California is the most uncompetitive state in the union. It is the worst managed on a state basis. And the city of San Francisco is an example of how you can get to being a rat hole over 10 years. It is an absolute war zone. So why not discuss better management of the resources versus just continuing to pay for inefficiency and lack of executional skills? That place is a loser state, the number one loser state on my list of winners and losers. 100%. Number one loser. Uh, I, we take offense to that. I, Illinois should be the number one loser state, but... We're probably mm. number two. Well, maybe number three. New York is pretty... Well, New York should be number one right now, considering what they did to Trump. And well, people never of... wanting to do any business in that state. And the truckers, too. I love that You know, this week they're starting not to deliver goods to New York City. Uh, well, uh, we'll see if that's uh, sustained. But, um, yeah, Kevin O'Leary has other loser states that he'd like to talk about, and mm-hmm. New York is one of them. He uh, stayed over until the afternoon so he could do that with Cavuto. New York 
was already a loser state. Like California is a loser state. There are many Take loser states because of policy, high taxes, uncompetitive regulation. It was already on the top of the list of being a loser state. <laughs> I would never invest in New York now. And I'm not the only person saying that. I mean, and he's not an inconsequential uh, real estate developer either. In point of fact, he gave an example of a project uh, he is currently pursuing mm-hmm. and uh, why he is not pursuing it in New York State. Um, and, you know, Kevin Kevin O'Leary is a, um, sounding a lot like Trump. I just like every know, loser he, state, loser. California's a loser state. New York's a loser state. Come on, come on, do Illinois. Uh, here's his data center example. And here's a real-time situation. In development in real estate right now, the hottest asset class is very high-end data centers. They cost anywhere from two and a half to three and a half billion each. They're very expensive. They require low power. You need permits. But most of the major institutions in the world need more data centers, and that's why developers like me are doing this. Now, you need power. So New York has Niagara Falls. Normally, you'd consider that to put in one of these facilities, create 400 jobs, five more jobs for each of one of those for auxiliary services. I can't go to New York. So I'm going to Oklahoma, North Dakota, West Virginia. Governor Stitt, Kevin Stitt, my staff have met with him. Governor Bergen, the same thing. Governor Justice, those are winner states. They don't do things like this. I have to syndicate that debt and all that equity. We're talking billions of dollars here. Do you think any foreign institution or any private equity firm or any pension fund would touch New York? No. And that's why New Yorkers should be concerned. The fine people of New York should ask themselves, why are we such a loser state? How are we going to attract business? It's not just the existing businesses that are fleeing out to Texas and Florida. What about new money like this that I'm talking about, like a $4 billion data center? Not a chance I would put that in New York. Zero probability. Never. And so they've got a lot of work to do to find themselves getting out of this situation. This has all occurred post-pandemic. Winner states versus loser states. Winning. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 646-36-DA, then a quick comment. Why do people always forget about Illinois? Why? Oh, uh, I'm sure. They don't sure. know who Governor sure. Pritzker is, like, during the pandemic and things. Like, how do you not know who he is? Everybody knew who Lightfoot was, but nobody knew who he was. Um, yeah, he's just he not. He's just, he's just so round in every way. He's so vanilla in every way. It's, it's um, okay. yeah, he's, he's, just, he's just forgettable. And so is Illinois generally because what's going on here? I don't know. We're sort of uh, facsimiles of these um, – other loser states, I suppose, is the perception. But I'm sure if we had Kevin O'Leary on, Cheaters. we could get him to do a riff on, on Illinois. Yeah. Winning and losing. Can, uh, think about this. I don't know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, could you ever imagine a real estate developer uh, at the level of Kevin O'Leary saying the loser states in America are California and New York and the winner states in America are North Dakota, uh, Oklahoma, and West Virginia. I would have never imagined it. It's it's stunning, but um, policy matters. Policy matters. Um, by the way, O'Leary also uh, responded to uh, the good governor, Hochul's. Oh, uh, don't uh, be uh, worried. Real estate investors still invest in our state. 
Well, no. Bull dive uh, line? The assurance that the uh, Trump prosecution oh, right. will in no way be visited upon anybody else because, you know, everybody else plays by the rules. No other developer would ever think to uh, it, uh, misrepresent in any material way the valuation of a property for the purposes of a loan or tax relief or what have you. Uh, Kevin O'Leary responding to that. Yeah, we're very worried. Every investor is worried because where is the victim? Who lost money? This is some arbitrary decision a judge made. This policy and what this says, what does this say about the bar, the legal bar in New York? Aren't they going to question this judge? What is this? $355 million and there's dollars as a, as a penalty and there's plus interest at 9% and there's no victim? I mean... I'm sorry, her, her words fall on deaf ears to everybody. There's nothing she can say to justify this decision. And this has nothing to do with Trump. Nothing to do with Trump. Forget about Trump. This is not a Trump situation. This is a New York problem now. The whole world is looking at this saying, what are you doing to yourselves? Boy, uh, you could cut and paste that and uh, just fill in Illinois where he says New York, couldn't you? Mm-hmm. Couldn't you? What uh, the whole world looks at anytime Illinois does come in conversation, the whole world looks at Illinois and says, what are you doing? Or Chicago, what are you doing to yourselves? What's the answer? You know, other than the obvious what we're doing. Why? Why are you doing it to yourselves? Greg and Schomburg, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Within the context of everything that has been going on with the Trump trials and many other things that you've discussed in the last couple of days, there was the assassination or the uh, murder of the Russian dissident. Navalny, and yeah. if you mm-hmm. if you look at the the notion that this is power uh, that just a power use of power by uh, people that have no morals in any way, shape, or form. And you look at the acceleration of that process that's happened just over the last 10 years. Put five more years on to New York and Illinois or any blue state. And if you go up against the, the, the deep state or whatever the ruling organization is at that point, who's going to do it? No one will because you're going to fear for your life. Cardinal George was right. Remember that one statement that he talked about? The, mm-hmm. the um, successor. Or reportedly said? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was exactly yeah. right. Thanks. Thanks for the call, Greg. Uh, Mary Kay in Western Springs. Hey, Dan. Um, like 10 days ago or so, you said um, we were talking about those empty nester, you know, reboots of your life or whatever. Yeah. And I, um, you said you'd put up the seed money, and I heard you say that. So if, if we, Amy, we just moved to Florida, you can be a coach, I'll be a trainer, I have Sean can find me a place to live, um, and then we can go from there. And we'll finally be out of here making money. You can just fly back and forth to here. Your kids are in college. What do you think of that idea? Well, you got a plan. Um, yeah. One question. Um, What's the name of our business? What? Well, that's that's one. But um, you but you'd give them the money. Well, yeah, well, Dan. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, I just I just want to understand something. Um, has has your husband been apprised of this? Yeah. Or you, you know what? I don't think he cares. I don't well. think he would care if I went down to Florida. And, um, we just fly back and forth, you know. I mean, it could sure. be one of those to fly back and forth. Sure, why not? Yeah, yeah. just use the company well, uh, credit you know? card. Oh, okay. Sure. 
that I I'm mean, seeding. No, no, I'm not going to waste all your money. I'll work. The, I'll do the business. We'll uh-huh. make the business successful. And if and in Florida, I'm sure the laws. I mean, I just bet and this is and this is by the way, we're the, being counselors for empty nesters. Correct. To, how, to like, empty nesters, how to adjust coaches. when the kids go to college. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh. Well, uh-huh. I think that that's a great idea. I think it would fly. I think. You know, then when my husband's ready to come down to Florida, when when whatever, then we'll just meet up down there and heavily ride off into the sunset. You know, right. well, the only down. thing is down, down here, you're going to have to be um, your clientele is going to be um, different. I mean, well, oh. it's going to you're going to have to you're going to be consulting grandparents about how when their I grandchildren know. go to yeah. college. That's the I only have difference. This water. I have an, a water aerobics type business that I did down oh. in Florida when we I visited my I made money. Uh huh. Well, it wasn't like real. It was. It's a specialty program. It's a water running program that I started quite beach a while yoga. ago. Beach yoga. Get get it. Get it. Beach I yoga. Do, do a YouTube that. channel. Get syndicated. I, yeah, those I get big things. People that you know came into the pool, and you know, I, I did it. Um, you know, you can make you can make you know a couple hundred dollars an hour, even more. You know, right. just right. training well, people in a specialized it, program. I, it went over real big in um, Naples. When uh, I you, you, you and Amy, now. you and Amy, put together a little business plan. Okay, and, you know, I'll, I'll take it, it under advisement, and we'll I'll let this Kevin O'Leary to to I, help, help me Shark Tank it. I could pitch a tent in your backyard yeah. and live there. Um, yeah, your neighbors can, would love well, it. Well, you can live yeah, in my sister's backyard. I don't. I don't think so. We we shoot uh, vagrants <laughs> uh, in my neighborhood down here. <laughs> But I'm, uh, an, I'm an illegal immigrant from Sweden. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.